chapter number 3. And most of you will automatically think of a specific topic, if you've read through the book of James, when it comes to James chapter number 3. James chapter number 3 is most well-known for being the passage that speaks about the tongue. That is, that is probably, there are certain chapters in the Bible that have become kind of um, the passage for certain topics. Like if you talk about love, you've got 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. If you're talking about the resurrection, you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, so, and there are certain passages that that is what has um, been uh, so solidified and connected in our minds. And that, by the way, is a good thing. Um, it helps us, if, if a topic comes up, it helps us to know where to go. Um, to know, okay, I can go back to this passage. But we also need to be careful that our minds don't so connect those passages that we neglect that there are other topics that are talked about in those passages. Um, but... But that is, it is helpful to have those things in our minds. And uh, we will be covering the first, uh, first part of this chapter today. At least in the morning we'll be talking about the, uh, the tongue. But before we begin, let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask you to please just give me your wisdom. Give me your power. Lord, help me to be clear in what I say and help it to be you, Lord, that speaks Lord, I cannot reach hearts, only you can. And I ask you to please change all of our hearts, mine included, that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In this passage here, James uses several illustrations, several examples to compare what our tongue is like. Each one of them are full of pictures and illustrations and things that really if we we could we could spend the time a message just focusing on a single one of those illustrations and dissect that and we could we could spend a good amount of time just realizing what that illustration means but what I want to do today is I want to take each of these illustrations and I want to look at them, and I want to pull out principles about the tongue from James here. On what is, he, what is he saying, what is he pointing out about our tongue, and what does it mean in how we are supposed to interact, not only with others, but with God. Um, because he does not only focus, while the primary focus is on our interaction with others, he does uh, speak of our interaction with God when it comes to our tongue. So let's, so let's look. We're going to begin verse number one. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. 
Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and is set on fire, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and easy, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now once again, we often disconnect this passage from that last part there. But he's really continuing along the same theme. The book of James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it has a lot of similarities. Not only is it written in a very poetical style. He's got a lot of, of symbolism, a lot of illustrations, and a lot of times just simple statements that relate to how we're supposed to live our lives. But he was also writing it to the Jews that were spread, uh, the Jewish Christians that were spread throughout the empire as basically, an, a, in many ways, this was one of the first books of the Bible to be written in the New Testament, by the way. So in many ways, this was an introduction to New Testament living. Okay? What he's doing is he is taking from the Old Testament and the, and the way that they had grown up being taught how to live. And now he is taking that and he is saying, okay, you're a believer now. You're a Christian now. So what is your life supposed to look like? And he covers many different areas. But when he gets here, when he gets here with the tongue, what he says, he says, listen, we are sinful human beings, and we very frequently fail and sin in our relationship with other people. That's what he says here when he says, in many things we offend all. What he's saying is, we are fallen creatures, even after salvation, we still fail in our relationship with others. Okay? The fact of the matter is, you are going to fail to respond correctly to another individual over and over and over again. As a human being, it says in many things we offend all. In many ways, you are going 
to offend others. Now, the word offend here is not simply the way we think of it in modern, in modern English, okay? It's not just saying, oh, you offended me. We live in a culture today that is easily offended, okay? <laughs> We're offended by so many things, okay? And, but that's not actually what this is referencing here. This is referencing the fact that we are sinning against another and our actions are encouraging sin on their part. Okay? That is the idea of offend. Remember the Bible talks about how it, Peter, or I mean Paul would say that if meat maketh my brother to offend, I will not eat meat while the earth standeth. Okay? What he's saying here is if my actions would cause them to sin, to fall into sin, and if it's if it's as simple and as everyday of an occurrence as me eating certain meat and that would cause them to sin, then I'm not going to do that because I don't want to, to influence another individual towards sin. Okay? So that's what it's saying here is when it says we, in many, in many things we offend all, what it's saying is we sin towards others and our actions encourage a sinful response by, uh, by them. Okay? And so what he's, now he's going to address what is perhaps the largest category where we do that. He says, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. So what he says here is, listen, the largest area where we offend, the largest area and the most difficult one to handle is in our tongue, in our words. Okay, I grew up in the era of this, the saying being, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we'd say that over and over again, but in reality, often when we'd say it, it was really an indication that someone's words had actually already hurt us. Okay? The fact of the matter is, the Bible says, a wounded spirit who can bear. The fact of the matter is, physical injuries are often a whole lot easier to deal with than emotional or spiritual ones. And so the reality is, our words have a greater power to injure than our hands. Okay? I could get into a fight, I could, I could physically harm someone with my hands. But the power to injure is actually greater with our tongue, and that's what he's going to deal with here. And he's going to address why that is true. So let's look, we're going to go through each of the illustrations. Basically, my points are going to be the, the illustrations he uses. So the first, the first point here is a bridle, or a bit, as it's mentioned here. It says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Okay, so the first one is that of a horse's bridle. They put the bit in the mouth, and we have phrases, figures of speech, that come from this chomping at the bit. The idea of a horse that is so ready to get going that he's anxious and chomping down on the bit, wanting to keep going. We've got, we've got these phrases and these ideas. Most of us today, though, 
are not very familiar with horses. Okay, how many of you in here have ever ridden a horse? Okay, most of us, okay, most of us have ridden. How many of you have ever owned one? That's a lot less, okay? <laughs> That's, and, but at this time period, now, you have to understand that horses were not something that the poor would be able to afford. That's been true basically throughout all history, okay? But they were a common thing, okay? They were something they would be very familiar with. And so what he's saying here is, listen, you see all the time, you see these people, we put the horse's bridle on there, and someone, even a child, a well-trained horse, can be led even by a child. Okay? They're a powerful creature. Horses are amazing creatures. They're also, they're also very intelligent creatures. But they can be led by a simple child if that horse has been trained with the bit. And so what he's talking here is the power of the influence that it has. That bit has such a powerful influence over the horse that even though the horse is stronger than the rider, okay, even though the horse is capable should, should it cho so choose to completely reject the direction of the rider, a horse that has been trained with a bit and bridle will follow even the direction of a child. That is how powerful the bridle is. That's how powerful the bit is as far as influencing. Now, once again, this is poetic speech. He's giving a personification, a, a personality to a... a physical object, the bridle here. Okay, but what he's saying is this bridle has so much power, it has so much influence over the horse that just a simple turning of it can turn the horse and we can take it wherever we want. Even though if that horse wanted to, it, it could buck you off, it could run away, it could, it could kill you with a kick, it could do whatever it wanted, but yet the power of the bit is so strong. The influence over the horse is so great. And so the first thing that we see is the influence of the tongue. Now that influence can be positive or negative. The influence is still there regardless. There are verses throughout the Bible, I'm just going to read a few, that talk about this. It says in Proverbs 15, 23, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Proverbs 25.11 says it this way, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. It's, it's referencing fine art made out of valuable materials. It's saying it's got the beauty of fine art, but the value of precious metal and gold. That, that is how powerful, that is how great good speech can be. And I dare say that most, if not every one of us in this room, can recall a time where a simple statement from someone meant a lot to us. It could be as simple as them sincerely coming up to you and saying, I'm praying for you. Or it could be that you were going through something and they were there and they encouraged you. 
It could be as a child. The simple statement of a teacher, saved or unsaved, where they encouraged you in some pursuit. They told you you were good. My wife and I, we were just talking about this. She was talking about it. She still remembers a teacher who encouraged her to write. And she still remembers a statement where the teacher said, the teacher said, one day I'll be reading your books to my students. That simple bit of encouragement, what, 20, 25 years later, <laughs> is still something she thinks about. That's the power, the positive power of speech. But the negative influence is just as great. There are times when we will say things to people and just one cutting word, one negative speech can have, can alter the direction of their life. Some of you can look back at your childhood and point to something that maybe your parents said. A negative statement that your parents said to you. Maybe your dad was a very harsh, stern individual. The, the statement that he said to you. Or maybe you can point back to a time in which those uh, your peers mocked you. And you can, you can actually see how that influenced, even to this day, how you act. By the way, that can be true even if you're not bitter. Now, bitterness, by the way, is one of the greatest, most common sins, I think, among Christians today. We are very bitter people. We don't, we don't let go of what happened. We hold on to it, and it influences our hearts for years to come. But even if you're not bitter, it can still be something that Satan can use to bring up in your mind to say, for instance, let's say you were mocked as a kid. Now it's time to witness. You're wanting to tell someone about Jesus. Satan can bring up, you know, you really want that? You really want them to, you really want them to respond to you the way they did when you were a kid? He can, still, he can still use that power. Even if you're not bitter, he can still use the power of those words as, a, as one of his darts, as one of his attacks, decades later. The next thing we see here says, and also the ships which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Now this is a very similar statement here, talking about the influence of the, of the helm, but, but this is a little bit different. See, we often reference this as the rudder, not the helm. But it says the helm. Okay? The helm... The phrase that often comes to mind, which is not nearly as common as ones about the horses, um, telling someone to take the helm. If you tell someone to take the helm, 
you're not telling them to grab hold of the rudder of a boat. Okay? The helm is not the rudder. The helm is the steering wheel of a boat that turns the rudder. Okay? It is the directing influence behind the boat. Okay? It is not just the thing that influences the boat. It is the action of directing. If I was to bring this back to the illustration of the horse, rather than saying the bits, I would say the reins. Okay? Because we're talking about not the item that actually does the turning, but the one that controls the turning. Okay? So when it says here the helm, what it is talking about is the influence, but the power of control through the tongue. Is not this what most politicians use? The power of control through the tongue. How many of you have ever listened to part of a speech by Adolf Hitler? I have, okay? Now, I don't speak German. I didn't understand what he was saying. But I can tell you this much. He was a powerful speaker. Okay? He had, he had influence through his tongue. And he directed a nation towards wickedness. Okay? And it was, it was very much... He was, he was voted in, guys. Okay? He was very much popular... And his tongue brought about a great power of direction towards a country that led to the devastation of a continent. Through a man who physically was not a strong individual. Nor was he some great warrior. Yeah, he'd been in the military, but he wasn't even of high influence in the military. Here's a man who basically, solely through the power of his tongue, led one of the most devastating wars in modern history. And he himself did, like, none of the fighting. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't do anything himself. Yet he directed it all through his tongue. Because that was the guiding force, the power that the tongue had. Not just an influence in the sense that it can have a lasting impact on the way people think, but it can actually bring about actions on the parts of individuals. I remember reading a story from a college about three young college students. They were, their, they were lower classmen. I don't remember if they were freshmen or sophomores. But the three of them had gotten in trouble because of some activity that they did. And the dean of men brings in the three students individually. And he asks them, he says, why did you do this? And the first one says, well, I didn't really think it was a good idea. I thought it was, I 
I actually thought it was a dumb idea, but all the, the other two were, were so excited about it, they thought it was such a good idea, that I went along with it. So he brings in the second guy, and he says the exact same thing. Okay, so he brings in the third guy, and he goes, okay, so I, I, this guy must have been the leader. This guy must have been the one who was really pushing for it. The third guy, he brings him, and he goes, yeah, I was the one that came up with the idea. Yeah, I said it. But as soon as I said it, I knew it was dumb. And I knew we shouldn't do it. But the other guys were all so excited about it, so we did it. So here's three individuals who... From the foolishness of their hearts, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. From the foolishness of their hearts, they're speaking, and they influence each other to do something that none of them would have done on their own. Okay? That's the power of the tongue. We can convince others, both negative and positive, to do things because we encourage them that they may not have had the boldness to do on their own. The Bible actually warns parents, specifically fathers, okay, that they not discourage their children. Okay? Because the fact of the matter is, we can have a great impact on the direction of other people's lives simply by our words. The next illustration he has here, it says, The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And this is probably the one we think of the most, a wildfire. One of the things that's interesting about wildfires is they often are started by somewhat innocent means. I just recently read of the, uh, of the sentencing of a couple and the amount of fines they're going to have to pay who started a wildfire through a gender reveal party. They, uh, they used one of those smoke things where it, like, it was like a firework, smoke bomb type firework, and they did it in an area they shouldn't have done it. And the smoke from their gender reveal party for their baby um, caused a wildfire. Completely innocent means. A simple spark. And he references a couple things. He says, boasts great things. Now, I read this verse many times, and many times I thought when it said boast great things, it was referencing the impact it has. And it is, but it actually also is referencing something else. The word boast great things is literally to boast of great things, okay? To be proud and boast greatly. That is what, that's what the, the word is. And... It's the word for bragging or boasting with the word mega or great in front of it. And so what he's saying here is the one of the ways in which we ha start a wildfire is through our pride. One of the biggest reasons 
for our inability to control our speech is because of a heart of pride. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. If there is a fight, my, my mom used to say, takes two to fight. If there's a fight, it's because of pride. Now, the Bible also talks about a wise man fighting with a fool, and whether he win or lose, there's no peace. The fact of the matter is, we have to win. So we speak, and we have to be right. And we have to make sure everybody else knows we're right. And so because of the fact that I want everyone to know I'm right and to respond a way I believe they should, we can't just let it go. And that's where our, our speech, our bad speech comes from. Most of the time, bullies are bullies because of their insecurity and they want to, they want to make everybody else lower than them. They want to show how great they are by making everyone else that's what most bullies are. But the fact of the matter is, every one of us has a bully inside waiting to get out. Right? We're insecure. We look at ourselves, and we know we're not what we should be. Oftentimes, we're not what other people seem to think we are. If we really look at our own hearts, we're not as good at whatever it is that they seem to be praising us for. We're not as stable. We're not as strong. We're not as brave. We're not as, as confident as the world tells us we need to be. And it seems like the world says we, like our business or whatever, we, we have to be this image, this thing. We have to be right. And because we are confident, we cannot display weakness. Our pride drives us to think, say things we should never say. You want an example of that, parents? When was the last time you apologized to your own children? That's a humbling thing to do, to have to apologize to your own children. It shows weakness. Men, when was the last time you, or, or wives, when was the last time you, you apologized to your spouse and didn't just say, you know, I'm sorry, shouldn't have said that. But instead, actually said, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. Please forgive me. See, the one, yeah, you're acknowledging that what you did was wrong, but you're not acknowledging a weakness on your part. You're not really acknowledging that the failure was because of who you are, not because of what you did. You see, our sin comes from who we are, fallen individuals who fail. The problem more than the, the fact that we fail is the fact of who we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jesus 
addressing the Pharisees' false rules about not eating without washing your hands, he says, it's not the things that go into your mouth that defile the man, it's the things that come out of your mouth that defile the man. And his disciples were so confused by that because of the way they were brought up, they asked him later, what were you talking about? And he says that from within comes, and he just makes a huge list of all the most wicked sins you can imagine. And what he was saying is, the fault is not a result of, oops, I messed up. The fault is that there's corruption within that's coming out. And unless we deal with the corruption that's within, we'll never be able to fix what's coming out. And really, I'm not going to go to the one about the trees and the, and the rivers, but that's really what James is talking about when you get to the last illustrations there about the trees you know, and the rivers and the streams. They can't be both salt water and fresh. He's saying that the corruption from within is what's coming out. So your speech is really an indication of where your heart is. We don't say proud things because we simply messed up. We say proud things because we're proud. We don't say hateful things because we just lost our temper. We say hateful things because we don't have the love of God in our hearts. You see, it's the source that is the issue. But then he goes on, another illustration here. Okay, with the fire, he says, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. This is the spread. Okay. I cannot tell you how many church splits I have seen start simply because of people talking. I remember one that happened when I was a teenager. I remember standing in the hallway of the church. They had like a, a glass entryway from the auditorium, and then there was a hallway behind it. And I was standing there after a service, and there was one of the members of the church was angry and crying, and they, they're like, they're leaving, they're not coming back. And when someone asked them why, their response was, because they're leaving. And it was, I remember as a teenager going, your whole reason for leaving the church, for tearing apart the relationship you have with other believers, is because somebody else is? So what, you're, it made me think of the statement that my mom would always say, and you guys probably heard it too, if everybody else was jumping off a cliff, would you do it too? You know, it was kind of like, your whole justification is just the action of somebody else? Where's your relationship with God factoring into all of this? Now, if, you, if, if God is directing you to leave a church, whatever reason that might be, okay, maybe there's sin, maybe God has a different ministry that he wants you to be a part of and he's directing you on to a new ministry, whatever, if God is directing it and it's really God, not your emotions, then by all means you should, okay? But most people leave churches not because of God, but because of emotions. And some of them then blame God for it. 
and say, oh, God's leading us somewhere else. No, your emotions are leading you somewhere else and you're just floating along. The last illustration, this is where we'll close, is the idea of the wild nature of the tongue. The beasts. How many of you ever remember Siegfried and Roy? How many of you guys remember Siegfried and Roy? I've got a few people in here. When I was a kid, I used to love um, magic tricks, illusions, escape artists, those type of things. I used to watch them on TV. Siegfried and Roy, David Copperfield, those type of things. I used to watch them. Uh, Penn and Teller. Back in 2003, Siegfried and Roy, who were, they were most famous for using animals in their magic tricks and illusions. Okay, that was their, that was their trademark, especially white tigers. And um, back in 2003, they had an incident that basically ended their career in which one of the tigers responded erratically. Now, there was blame passed back and forth over who did what and why it happened. But it resulted in, the, in one of the two, Roy, his spine being severed. It also, in the middle of all of that, caused him to have a stroke. He, he never fully recovered. Okay? And it ended their careers. They did a, like one or two other shows at one point, but it basically their career was over after that. And here's people who they had trained with these animals. But as was commonly stated, there's a certain factor when it comes to a wild animal, deep down they're still wild. Okay? The, that is the idea that God is getting at with the tongue here. He only, he's saying it's so much more so. Any animal, I've heard of magicians who use scorpions in their magic tricks. I, I mean, there's one that they use their escape artists, they escape out of handcuffs while they're holding a scorpion. And they would cover it with a, yeah, no, I wouldn't, no, thank you. But, um, but they, uh, but what he's saying here is man can find a use. Man can find a positive use for every animal and make it work for them. But that's not true for the tongue. Sooner or later, the tongue will lash out. That is what he's saying. Sooner or later, you're going to have that Siegfried and Roy moment where the wildness of your tongue comes out and it's out of control. And we can blame it on everyone else but ourselves. Oh, I was tired. Oh, they said this, they did this. Oh, I, they, I just couldn't take anymore. And some of us even brag about those moments, say, well, you know, I'm just honest. I just tell people the way it is. The Bible says a fool uttereth all his mind. So if you're sitting there bragging about the fact, well, I just tell it like it is. I just say what I'm thinking. Well, God calls you a fool. So, in closing, what do we do about it? What, what, how, do we, how do we handle this? If by its very nature, the tongue has great influence and great control, and cannot 
be completely tamed. There will be a time where you say something you shouldn't. How do we handle it? That's where the end of this passage comes in. Verse 13, it says, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation. Now understand, conversation in the Bible is not just our words. It's what our entire life says. It's how our life speaks. So he says here, Show out of a good conscience his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Then go to 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Is this what describes your words? Full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It is a fruit. And that's what those last illustrations when he talks about the fig tree and, and, and a vine giving forth figs and a figs giving, fig, fig tree giving forth grapes. You know, can it do it? He's saying no because it's fruit. The fruit comes from the nature of the plant. And as I said, our sin, the problem of our sin is not that we sinned, it's that our heart has sin in it and it came out. The problem is within us. It just happened to come out as an action. That is where sin lies. So we can't solve it by convincing ourselves to stop speaking a certain way. The other saying that I used to hear my parents say all the time was, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Usually didn't work. The reason why it usually didn't work is because my heart still wasn't right. And that's when that wild nature of a tongue comes out and I couldn't control it anymore. So how do we do it? How do we solve it? Pretty simple. It's a fruit, so it comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And what that means is it comes from a relationship with God. Your tongue is like a thermometer telling you how your relationship is doing with God. What you're saying, what's coming out, is showing you how that fruit is coming. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control. The tongue is going to be one of the first areas where that's shown. So the solution is getting back to God. It's going back to that relationship. It's not, yes, memorize verses that have to do with the tongue. That is good. Okay? Because it is from God's word that the Holy Spirit works. Okay? So, yes, do those things. But sometimes we do it like it's some sort of religious ritual. Let's memorize these scriptures and it will somehow magically make me better. It's about our relationship. The Bible says to hide his words in our heart, not our mind. Okay? The Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. It has to do with taking God's word, putting it in our hearts, 
and developing that relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit then takes control. The Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if we walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The answer is you can't tame your tongue. You will never succeed if you try yourself. That's really what he's saying here. So the answer is, you need to run to God who can. And you get back to God. You get that closer relationship with God. And the fact of the matter is, others will probably notice it even before you. That your words are a lot nicer, a lot gentler. There's more love in your words. Isaiah, I don't have time to go to this verse, but Isaiah talks about getting the wisdom to know what to say at the appropriate time. And that's, if you want to look it up, that's, that is in Isaiah, and it's actually a prophecy about Jesus. It's Isaiah 50, verse number 4. He talks about having the wisdom to say the right thing and that Jesus would have that. We can have that true, too, when the Holy Spirit is working through our lives. And our t- the power of the tongue can be a positive rather than a negative. So here's the question. How are you doing? Does your tongue show an active, close, personal relationship with God that is producing, creating fruit that comes out in good speech? Or as you look back over this last week, can you say, Yeah, I shouldn't have said that there. I lost my temper here. That wasn't the nice thing to say. Or I encouraged them to do something that wasn't godly, that I shouldn't have told them to do that. And you can point out where my tongue has been wild. It's not tamed. And what that means is you need to turn around and go back to God and get back to him. And the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. But our focus has to be back on God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask you to please just help us. Help us to focus on you, that we would grow. And Lord, we cannot control our tongue alone. We don't have that power. And so Lord, please produce in us, create in us a right heart. As the psalmist said, renew a right spirit within us, Lord, that we would direct towards you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.